This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. Welcome to the MVFC First and Gold Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Burke, and joining me today is the head coach of the newest Valley football member, North Dakota, Bubba Schweigert. Bubba, how are you? I'm doing fine, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. I am, am suddenly uh, transported back to your your days in Carbondale, and I seem to remember, oh, I don't know, a 4 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. get up when I shadowed you for the day when I was covering SIU football. and showed up at your your house in uh, the darkness and followed you around the office all day pretty much in at practice. Yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday. Obviously had a great time down there and a great experience in Carbondale and at SIU and always appreciated the opportunity to be on the football staff down there. And I remember that day well. I think I was pulling the garbage out that day. And you, you are. It was an early morning, and as you know, in the fall, they're all long days, but uh, a lot of great memories from SIU. Most definitely. Bubba, how have you and your staff gotten creative right now in this time of coronavirus? Well, you know, it's a unique time, and that's uh, a challenge for us, and that's exactly what we have to do is be creative. And, you know, when when we learned that our guys weren't coming back, the first thing we wanted to do is get in touch with all of them. and. As the head coach, I felt like it was just 2014 again. I wanted to talk to each team member personally. So called them all and really we gave them three directives. Hey, we got to do the right thing and help to stop the spread of this virus. So pay attention to the experts and to our administration, which we feel our administration is doing a great job leading us here at the University of North Dakota. And then the second thing was get ready for remote learning. We were on spring break when it happened, so we could give our guys a heads up that they were all set for remote learning. And then the third thing was, hey, we got to stay in some type of physical shape, whatever you can do. You know, and I'll laugh. One of our players, when I called him, he said, I'm getting out the Rocky movies. I'm going to watch that. So we (laughs) had a good chuckle about that. And so that's what we've been trying to do, you know, initially. And then as this became something that we – knew it was going to be more long-term. We're doing Zoom meetings with our guys, position meetings. You know, we have countable athletic-related activities now, according to the NCAA, and just trying to really keep in touch with our guys. And our message is be positive. We're going to get through this, and we got to be ready once we're called back to campus. You mentioned those Zoom meetings and that you're doing by position even. Are those something that you're doing on a day-to-day basis right now? We go every uh, other day. And it's more the position coaches get on uh, on the Zoom meetings with their position group. Initially, it was hardly anything to do with football. It's how you doing, uh, how are you taking care of yourself, is everybody safe in your family, and those types of things. We really wanted to connect with them that way, that this is a bigger issue than football. And now that we've gotten through that and we've gotten all guys settled in, whether they're going to be in town here at their apartment or on campus at our residence hall, we had a couple guys that they felt it was best for them just to be here. Or if they're at home, you know, once they were settled into a routine, then we got into more of the football stuff. You know, as far as the staff, we meet uh, 
at the beginning of the week as an entire staff and then our offense and defensive staffs, which I'm in on those meetings, we'll meet daily and just try to work through all the issues, whether it's academics, whether it's recruiting, whether it's our current roster, all strength and conditioning, you know, sports medicine, all those things. Our meetings are about the same. We're just doing it remotely through through Zoom. That makes sense. You, your team, you know, you were fortunate. You, you got seven of your allotted 15 spring ball practices in. So what evaluations were you able to make in that time that have helped you now? Well, we were fortunate and we always feel we're fortunate. We've got a great indoor practice facility here. It's the high performance center and it allows us to start our spring ball earlier. And, and we we're fortunate to get seven practices in. And, you know, the one, question around here and around our program is who's going to be your quarterback and yeah. young at quarterback and have limited experience. So it was great to see those three young guys get out there. Tommy Schuster, you know, played in four games last fall, didn't use a year of eligibility, but we were sure proud of him against uh, Sam Houston state. He was called into action. We lost two guys the first two weeks of our season and had to have Tommy come in and, and he performed really well. He showed great poise in that. But, you know, after Tommy, we really didn't have, we had a part-time quarterback in Brock Boltman, who will be a junior on our team. And we used him a bit uh, as a, a lot as a receiver a year ago. And then we used him at quarterback some, but uh, we brought in two early enrollees for the spring and Quincy Vaughn from Canada, the Hamilton, Ontario area and Reed Neal from Indiana, Yorkton, Indiana. And, we were really proud of those guys. They were making great progress. We were very young. And then I thought Danny Freund, our old coordinator and coaches, our quarterbacks was doing an awesome job with those guys. And they're just so eager to learn. So that, that's really exciting for us. And so we're fortunate that we got seven practices in. And I think offensively, we were starting to develop an identity. You know, we wanted to run the football more consistently in 2020. So we're working on that really hard early in spring ball. And, and then just, you know, the entire team getting better defensively. We really felt like we had to simplify in some areas and try to make our package much more simple for our guys to understand. And we were working on that because we felt that would help us be better at defending the run and give up fewer explosive plays. You know, those were some of the points of our emphasis in spring. And I think we were making good progress. And then we do it differently than some other schools. We have those practices that we have a week off and bring the guys back for the second half of spring. And we were really looking forward to bringing them back and improving on some of the areas that we identified that we got to make better progress at. But that was taken away and it is what it is. You brought up the quarterback group in particular. And so when you have film from like half half of what would be spring ball on those quarterbacks, how do you make evaluations when you have some film, but you obviously didn't get to see everything play out in spring ball, and you're trying to carry over some of the momentum that you, you started building? Well, there was a really good competition. I thought, you know, the guys were putting in great effort in the classroom and out on the practice field. And, you know, if we started today, Tommy would have an edge because he had more experience, you know, but we feel like we're going to get into a fall camp and we, we were really pleased with Quincy and Reed, the progress they were making and felt like it was really a competitive, competitive battle for the position. Who's going to be that starter that steps into the huddle? And, you know, and then you evaluate, hey, what are the strengths 
of each of the guys and where do we need to improve? Because maybe you run it a little bit differently, the offense, if, if Quincy's in there. And, you know, we had to adjust to that in 2019 with Nate going out in our first game. And then Adam Zinnerin was in there to finish up our first game. And in the game against Sam Houston, he goes out. So now we got a true freshman running out there. And, and so we've had some experience at that. And I thought Danny did a really good job. And we're always trying to evaluate that with each and every quarterback. What do they do best? And how can they best fit into our offense? So when they're called upon that, we can be efficient at moving the ball. And it, you know, sometimes that's running the football a little bit more. Other times it's throwing it. What time are routes and what they feel comfortable, you know, which plays they feel comfortable executing. Bubba, you're now in your second stint at North Dakota and entering year seven at the helm. What's a key takeaway from your time there as an assistant that's given you better perspective now that you're UND's head coach? Well, I think, you know, being there as an assistant for uh, 15 years and then coming back, things were not the same. The university changes. It was now FCS football compared to Division Two. yet there were still many similarities. You know, I always felt like the recruiting footprint for the University of North Dakota needs to be within a five-hour radius. You do a great job, and then you keep reaching out in the Midwest. And when we were Division Two and really very successful under Roger Thomas and the leadership of Dale Lennon, those two head coaches, I learned a lot from those two and always have a great deal of respect for them, the way they ran the program. And part of that was really recruiting the best fits for the University of North Dakota. Yeah, you, you know, recruiting's competitive, but if you can just focus on, hey, what are our needs and what are the best fits for the University of North Dakota, you'll be successful in recruiting. So we really, really in 2014 and through that time, I really leaned on those two a lot to go back to, hey, how did they do it when they were here? And what what made it special to be here at North Dakota was we had a lot of guys that felt it was a big deal to play at the University of North Dakota. And they were familiar with our tradition and, and what it meant to go up and down I-29 and play traditional rivalries. Well, we didn't have that when we were playing the big sky. We didn't have those traditional rivalries. So it was a little bit different recruiting in the Midwest and then playing out West. So we knew that was challenging. And and now we're really looking forward to getting back into the Missouri Valley and into a Midwest league because we think the student athlete experience is going to be better. We think our support will even grow even more than it has in the last six years here. And our fan base will be able to travel on the road and see us play conference games once again, which we just think will really help us. So those are the things that I think I took from being as an assistant and then try to apply them to our current situation right now. I'm glad you brought up the travel because this was something I didn't necessarily think about till the other day that, you know, when you, when you were playing in the big sky, you essentially, I, I believe you had to fly to almost every, every team you were playing. Whereas now you have certain games that'll be in the Valley that you can drive to. And I know people, they don't like to make a big deal out of the travel element of, you know, when you're, when you're playing football games, but, it, but it is a little bit of a factor. So how much of a benefit is it now entering the, the Valley football league that your travel schedule is going to look a little bit different? Well, I think it's uh, going to change. That's for sure. You know, there were only two out of the previous six years that we had a bus trip. 
to a road game. And, you know, the bus trip to Fargo um, has been, you know, that's a quick trip. And then we'll, we'll also bus to South Dakota State and South Dakota in the future, not in 2020 because they're here. And all the other trips are fly trips. And we fly first class. You know, we're going to charter all the flights. So those trips were really good trips. But the, the challenge came, Kelly, playing in different time zones. To, yeah. You know, there were, uh, I believe it was 2017, 16 and 17, we played in four different time zones. We played on the East Coast. We played, of course, in the central time zone at home. And and then we played a lot of games in Mountain and Pacific time zone. And the ones that were real challenging were if we had back-to-back weeks to the West Coast, because our sleep patterns are all different. You know, we're kicking off at nine o'clock local time, getting back at six in the morning. So that week wasn't the challenge. I always felt like it was that getting back, you know, late, late uh, Saturday night while it was early Sunday morning and then getting back to work with the staff and the team. But our sleep patterns were off a little bit. So now we should have a little more consistency because we're going to play mostly in the central time zone. And with the exception you know, of Indiana State and Youngstown out in the Eastern time zone. But we always felt it was a little bit better for us to play in Eastern time zone rather than out on the West Coast when you're playing later at night. And so that's where the travel comes in. And and then I just think for the fans and those people to follow us when we're more regional, that will help us too as far as selling our program and, and recruiting parents that can go to games where they can drive to games because our, you know, now we're our recruiting for footprint's going to match our conference footprint. That makes sense. You know, I, I was even thinking about your your playoff game this year at, at Nichols State. And again, I'm I'm not making excuses for the outcome in any way, but I mean, I don't think people realize, and, and I can speak to this living in Florida now, there is a massive difference when you're playing, I think, I mean, I think it was about 80 degrees or it was pretty hot when you had that game. Um, just humidity humidity and acclimating to it and I can speak to that as a runner when I run here right now and it's you know it's been in the 90s this week down here and if I go run 45 minutes or five or six miles it's hard I get done and I'm exhausted but if I were to run the same amount of time the same distance in other areas of the country that where the humidity and the heat isn't as bad it's so it's so much easier again I I know that that that's not the be-all end-all of of the outcome of a game but the reality is that the time zones um, and travel and acclimating to different climates, it is it is a factor in some regards. Yeah, it can be. And we try to get our guys to really focus on what they can control. And, you know, when we got to Louisiana this year, it was unseasonably warm for them. You know, we aren't really familiar with uh, their climate a whole lot. We you know a number of our coaches had played down there when they were actually playing at North Dakota and they played earlier in the year. So you really expect it to be warm and humid. And, you know, so when we got down there, it was really warm. That was an interesting, interesting weekend because it was snowstorm and a blizzard up here early in the week. <laughs> you know, that we were, we were concerned, Hey, are we going to get out of town on time and all that? And that all worked out fine. We got out on time, but there were still, you know, we didn't communicate that a whole lot to the team and to the, staff, but I know administratively it was communicated to us, hey, there might be an adjustment here with our flight and things like that. And so then you get down there and they are unseasonably warm. So you got to be able to handle it. And that's 
really what the best teams do, Kelly. They're able to handle different type elements. And we want to grow in that area. I felt like, you know, I didn't feel like the weather, you know, our guys weren't consumed with it, but did it affect us a little bit and how we prepare our team? We always can learn from that experience and how do we do better as coaches to prepare our team better for that. But early in the year, we played out at Eastern Washington and we played, uh, you know, you think late September, you're going to go to Washington and have pretty good weather. It might be windy or something, but it was the first time it snowed in September out in uh, Cheney, Washington for, I was something like 60 years. So wow. we had, we had tough conditions there. I do feel we didn't handle those as well as we could have. And so we're going to look at when we get these type of weather games and how do we prepare for those early in the year? Cause that's some of the circumstances that we dealt with. And, and, you know, you got to be able to handle those changes and, and the good teams and the best teams can really handle that across the country. But we do feel like the weather will be more consistent now that we're in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, and, and controlling the controllables, you're getting a great test with that right now with this coronavirus because, you know, there's so much unknown. There's so many things right now that you can't control. Well, that's for sure. And that's why we constantly want to be in touch with our guys to keep them positive, keep them focused on what we can control. And obviously, academics is very important as we start the recruiting process. The number one thing that we sell at the University of North Dakota is, hey, you're going to come here and earn your degree from the flagship university of our state. And we're very proud of our academic tradition and have so many strong programs here. And that's the one thing that we want to do is everybody that we invite to join our football program, they leave here with a degree and and we do very well at that. And that's what we want to continue to do, even though it's remote learning and different for our guys, we've got to really finish this semester strong. You know, in the first time in six years, we had a fall GPA of 3.2. Wow. Which our goal was over a three point and we were hovering, hovering in, in the spring, we'd always get over a three point, but we wanted to do it during the season. So our guys really responded to that. And now we want to back that up with another 3.2 or better. And that'll be a challenge because this is different for our guys, but no question, the virus has created some uncertainty and some challenges, but you know, this is what we can learn and, and we try to teach more than football in our program. You know, I talk about recruiting and relating it to recruiting. We tell our guys, hey, if all you get out of your experience here at the University of North Dakota is a great football experience, we, we cheated you because we want to prepare you for the rest of your life. And part of that is facing adversity and facing circumstances that you can't control or aren't under your control because that's what's going to happen in your life. And you got to be able to handle those situations. Yeah. Bubba, your, your first name is technically Kyle. Where did the, where did the nickname Bubba come from? Well, I have a brother. I have five brothers and my brother that was closest in age was about two years older than me. And my dad was the oldest in his family, but I had eight sisters and brother Kent referred to the baby when I was born as Bubba because he couldn't speak properly. <laughs> and it kind of stuck to me. It was really my aunt's making fun of my brother, how he said baby, and it kind of stuck to me. So I've been called Bubba my entire life, and that's, I guess, what I prefer to go by now. I'll still respond to Kyle, but I was usually in trouble when I heard that name. <laughs> nice. You said at your season-ending presser this year that, that you and your staff you really needed to study 
your Missouri Valley football conference opponents. The style of play obviously has a reputation for being more physical and and run first. What are a few of the the non-obvious differences that you've discovered, um, you know, since you started studying? Well, I think, you know, the Missouri Valley has that rep, obviously, of being physical. And they are a physical league and use a lot of big personnel. You know, you look at North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Illinois State, um, you know, a number of those teams, uh, South Dakota, you know, play tight ends with a fullback at times, a number of those teams. So we've seen some teams similar. But the one thing, as you start watching the Missouri Valley football, offensively, they're very multiple. Even these big personnel teams really challenge your preparation because they're very multiple and they make it difficult because they're going to have big personnel on the field and spread you out or they're going to, you know, change to different personnel groups. So I think they're very multiple and you'll see a lot of different type offenses, just like we did in the big sky. But that's the one thing that I think when you look at it, yes, they're big and physical, but they're going to spread you out too and do what they do to, to move the football. And then defensively, I just think, you know, they're, they're very good at stopping the run because they see it week after week. And then the one thing that a lot of teams will do because teams stop the run, if you're going to be conventional, they're really going to run the quarterback because they know that's one way to add to the offense. And some of the best teams in the Valley have really done a good job of using their quarterback to run the football. So this is a challenge for us. A lot of new opponents just getting to know them each and every day a little bit better. And we're already the one thing that this coronavirus has probably helped us on is we're not on the road spring recruiting now. So we have more time at this time to study opponent video and try to become as familiar as we can with them at this time. How different does the league look even from seven years ago when you were the defensive coordinator at Southern? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's probably bigger and faster that uh, we look at I think some teams have gone more to putting it, it looks like maybe a, an emphasis on becoming more explosive on offense. You know, when we were at Southern, I felt like, especially our early years, and we had a, a defense that really played well and were really explosive and put a lot of speed on the field. And I think there's more of that now. And this is just my initial impressions that maybe some teams are going with a little bit less size on the edge and pass rushers because they understand that those guys can create a lot of havoc. And especially if you get teams in unfavorable downs, second and long, third and long, but it still is a physical league with a lot of big people on the field. But I, I see offensively uh, maybe much more multiple, more diversity in the offenses, you know, each and every week teams doing a lot of different things. And, and that's where football's changed. You know, we uh, didn't have really uh, an RPO game to defend when I was a defensive coordinator at Southern until the last couple of years, you know, the first team that we defended that really did that was New Hampshire in the playoffs. And that that's a challenge. And now we're more familiar with that, but a lot of people doing that and have that part of their offensive package. Yeah. You were back in the playoffs this year for the second time in four years. And despite the loss to Nichols State, what teachable moments have you been able to carry over from that experience into the off season? Well, I think our guys are disappointed. So, you know, it keeps us hungry and we wanted, sure wanted to advance in the playoffs and felt like we were playing good football at the end of the year and, 
and give Nichols credit. They're a good football team and deserve to win the game when we're down there, but we just didn't feel like we played as well as we should have. So we're going to look at how we prepared, you know, and were we fresh toward the end of the year, you know, because there's a lot of things uh, and it's more or less physical. You take care of your team physically, but also mentally. And guys got to be able to handle that longer season. And, and we're going to take a look at how we can help them. And, and because we want to do that again, you know, that's part of our plan. We want to win enough football games to get into the playoffs and, and have an opportunity to compete for national championships. So we're just looking at all that, you know, our week of preparation and not only that week, but how did we do late in the season that we can probably keep our team a bit fresher, both physically and mentally. So because Saturday is the most important day and that's when the guys got to be feeling really good and play at their best. How has the the Netherlands developed into a recruiting pipeline for you guys? Well, it kind of just happened a little bit by accident. You know, we um, recruited a couple of junior college guys. Dylan Bacher was a really good player for us. He was the first one from uh, the Netherlands and he had played out of junior college out in California and, and Eric Schmidt had done a good job of recruiting him and, and evaluating him and then get him to campus. And, and he was a really good fit for us. And, you know, the Netherlands, even though it's, um, you know, got a high population for the amount of area it covers, a lot of those kids, there aren't that many football teams over there. So they know each other. So it started with Dylan Bacher and he knew Tyron Verde and, and then Richard, who we signed uh, this year, we saw him at a camp and, and it's been good. And I think our university is really good at international student process. You know, we've had a lot of Canadians on our roster for years on the football team and on the hockey team. So our department and our, uh, has really been familiar with recruiting and uh, admissions and all those things work really well at our university. So international students are, are people that we're going to continue to recruit if we think they're a good fit for our program. One of your players, Hunter Pinky, uh, severed his spine during a ski accident in December. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been following, you know, the updates on him and, and his recovery. And I mean, he, he's clearly a, a very special young man, just has an unbelievable attitude about everything. Um, and I saw that he recently returned from Colorado where he'd been rehabbing. And, you know, he says his goal is, is to walk again. How is, is Hunter, how is he inspiring your team during, you know, these, these tough times with coronavirus? Well, he's been, uh, Nothing short of remarkable. And he was always a great young person and a leader in our program. He's a spiritual leader. You know, he's got a strong Christian commitment and uh, he's a true testament to what it can do for you when there's adversity. And, and right now, uh, he inspires all of us, you know, because he's been dealt some adversity or a challenge and he approaches it with such a positive attitude. And hey, I still I'm Hunter Pinky and I'm the same guy and I still can have a positive effect on so many lives. And, and he's doing that. I know, you know, Laura and I were fortunate enough to be able to go out to visit he and his mother out at Craig Hospital when he was rehabbing. And, and it was just so uplifting to get into his room and see him. And he just doesn't allow there to be any pity. It's, hey, this is what I've been dealt. This is how I need to approach it if I want to really have a positive life and a positive influence on others. And, you know, in the end of that day, he goes, coach, so what's my role on the team? And, and 
you know, it catches you a little bit off guard because he says, no, I want to know what I'm doing. And I said, well, you're always going to be a leader on our team and, and we've got to get you back to North Dakota and, and get you around the team. So right now he's even in on the position meetings, the Zoom meetings, because he wants That's to be great. a part of it. Awesome. And so he's just inspiring us in so many ways. You know, we talked to our guys about adversity and, and you talk about adversity, what this accident has uh, dealt Hunter and how he's handling it. We can learn so much. I know he inspires me each and every day, and I'm sure he's inspiring the team too, even though he hasn't been around them yet. That's that's wonderful, and it's great to see the community up there in North Dakota really rally around him and and be cheering him on. Yeah, it sure is. You know, it it just isn't in Grand Forks. It's surrounding community. It's it's rival schools. It's across our entire state and our region. And I think he's had a positive effect on a lot of those people out at Craig, but even people that don't know him that have been following his story. He's been a great example to a, a number of people, how you can take on adversity and make the best of an unfortunate situation. You had talked about Eric Schmidt and him and a, a number of your former players. Uh, Marty Rogers comes to mind, Malcolm Agnew. Um, you know, they've coached with you at some point at UND. What's been the most gratifying part of, of mentoring their careers, even as, even as they've moved on to, you know, n- newer and um, newer jobs. Well, I think it's always uh, fun to coach guys that you, uh, or I have guys on your staff that uh, you have coached as a player because you know what they're about and you remember those people. And you mentioned three guys that were just such a joy to coach, you know, cause they love football and would really, you know, just the things we talk about when times were toughest, they still performed well and they could handle adversity. And, and those three guys are special and we wish them well in all their endeavors, you know, when, cause everybody comes to a point where if they get a new opportunity and they feel it's best for them, we, we're happy for them. But, you know, it, it sure was special, you know, and Eric Schmidt, I was on the staff here at North Dakota that recruited him as a senior in high school and, and then he was a captain on our national championship team back in 2001. And and then Marty down at uh, Southern Illinois was such a key part about those defenses that we had down there in our early years and, and just loves football. And then Malcolm, you, know, you aren't going to find a better person. He came back to Southern Illinois for a better opportunity. And then we were able to, you know, hire him up here at North Dakota. And the one thing I will say Kelly, I learned from those guys too. Did you? And you can learn from guys that you coached now that they're coaching. Because I think uh, all three of those guys were, because of the relationship we had for a long time, were comfortable coming into my office to say, Coach, you know, you you ever think about this? You might be a little bit off on this thing. Think about it a little bit. And I respect that because I can learn from those guys and really appreciated their feedback. As we do all our staff members here, we want them to feel comfortable sitting in uh, my office and saying, hey, this is what I think. And, and it, we aren't always going to agree, but I sure appreciate that feedback. And those three were willing to do that. And I think it was because we had a good, solid relationship. That's great. When you look back at, at last season, you know, you were, you were a perfect 6-0 and at home last year. You were 1-5 on the road. Besides the familiarity of playing at home and obviously the, the fans, you know, really being an advantage with the, the noise, what did you kind of determine this off season that that you lacked on the road that you were able to to mentally tap into when you played at home? Well, I think the the crowd did give us a boost. You know, we had really crowds that were really into it. I 
you know, as a matter of fact, just yesterday I was talking to Coach Freund about this and about the home field advantage. And, you know, offensively, we, our fans are educated enough that, hey, they're quiet when we're in offense. The, the guys that get concerned are defensively. We, we don't have as great a communication when we're out on the field at home, but we work through it and we, uh, we want the noise because it does give you an advantage. But, but we sure have to get better on the road. And, and I think, you know, we can look at how we prepare and how we're doing our trips and what's our focus like the night before. And, and we played some, you know, some good teams on the road too. You know, going down to Fargo at North Dakota State is a challenging trip. And, and then we were at Weber State and that was late in the year. And I thought we were a better road team late in the year. You know, we went and won at Cal Poly, which is always a tough opponent because of the offense that they run and they were executing and playing well at that time of year. Uh, the ones that we were a little disappointed about were early in the year. So I felt we learned something early in the year just about our focus and how we need to prepare better when we go on the road. And, and you know, preparation for a game can't start one hour before the game. It starts the entire week. And then you really got to have an emotional buildup that last evening. And when the ball's kicked off, you got to be emotionally ready. So, you know, you're physically ready and mentally ready. Uh, that's the coach's job. And then I always talked about our players. You know, each one of you has to get that emotional readiness. And that's your responsibility at kickoff time that you got to be ready to go. I had a chance. I reached out to Laura because I obviously haven't talked to her in a while. Um, just on if she had any any interesting anecdotes or little nuggets on you. So she did share several. And, and I'm sure you're like, oh, no. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the first she she told me these are all things I had no idea about. She said that as a 13 year old boy, you, you broke your own horse to ride, which is kind of ironic because now she says she obviously still rides horses and, and does competitions. And so she says when when she has her competitions now and you are able to go with her, you're sort of the designated water guy. So First of all, how are your horse riding skills now? And then tell us a little bit about the 13-year-old you breaking the horse. Yeah, I had a couple friends. They were brothers, the Schaffner brothers from back home in Zeeland, North Dakota. They were a big horse family. And my uncle um, had a hobby farm just outside our small little town. And he got a horse for me. And that horse had a filly. And this horse was part Appaloosa and my friends said, Hey, you're going to break this horse. And they encouraged me how to do it, train a little bit, but we, we did a little bit rougher than Laura and some of her horse trainers would break a horse. We just took me out into a summer fallow field at some point, <laughs> put a bridle on this horse. And I went on bareback and just hung on for dear life, got thrown around <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and eventually the horse settled down and said, okay, I'm going to let this crazy guy ride me. And so I had a lot of fun with that horse and, and that was part of my childhood. I rode quite a bit um, with with that other family, and we had a lot of fun with the horses. But uh, Laura trains them a lot differently, and and it's really fun to go to those shows and and watch how the discipline and the what it takes to train the horse and compete at these hunter jumper events and get around those other people. But there, I'm just in the support role. I'm the camera guy. I'm the water boy. Whatever. <laughs> I got to walk the horse to cool him down. I, I'm just in a support role and I don't really know what's going on because I didn't train them like I see her and her, her uh, peers train those horses. Yeah. Was when you guys got together, was, was the horse thing, was that something you really bonded over? Well, actually, um, she didn't have a, a horse, uh, when she got up here, but she went out and, uh, found one that she 
was going to buy and she took me out to show this horse and his name was Oscar. And I go, really, you're going to buy this guy. Huh? So <laughs> she did. And it was a short time after I went out to see Oscar after she started feeding him and caring for him. Boy, he looked a lot different in about six months than he did when she purchased him. And, and then we've had a few others, you know, we had some down at Southern Illinois and now we have one again here now that she's back here, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of discipline and, um, always felt like, uh, that's her passion. And I yeah. see that, you know, where my passion is coaching and, and, uh, I get to understand that's her passion. That's what really, if she can go out and ride and do that in part of her day, it seems like she has a lot better day. So that's awesome that she has that passion for it. That's great. What makes a good onion sandwich? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. She, she told you that, huh? So. Yeah, she did. Anyway, I got that from my mother, believe it or not. We just love onions. And first of all, you got to start with a Vidalia onion. And then you get just this fresh bread and you put a little butter on it. Okay. And just sprinkle a little salt on there. And it's just the most awesome sandwich. I don't know. My brothers didn't acquire that onion sandwich love like I did, but I was one that did. I, I still will do it. Now you, you got to get a little vinegar too. And soak those onions in a little vinegar. So you okay. get a little salt, you get a little sour and a good crunchy Vidalia onion on white bread, fresh. It's awesome. Nice. I, I mean, I like onions. I think I, I would try eating that. I'm, my husband, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I give it a try. And then you, you know, you're, you got to brush your teeth after an onion sandwich, but you got to savor the taste for quite some time before you brush your teeth, but it's still really good. That's awesome. Uh, Laura also shared that you are fabulous on the barbecue. So what what's your specialty that you make? Pork loin, I think, is the best. Um, I think, you know, I can be good at steaks and burgers and things like that, but I just love a pork loin out there and flipping it and cooking it real slowly. And because and there's a trick to pork now because it'll dry out in a hurry. So you got to figure out how to do that. You know, you put a little olive oil on it so it gets that nice brown on the outside, as you flip it, and those grill marks are really good and make it look really appetizing. Then vegetables. Uh, I like grilling vegetables, you know, asparagus and onions, obviously. Peppers uh, on the grill are really good, too. But uh, I do enjoy grilling. That's great. Finally, I wanted to ask you about how are your boys doing? Because, uh, they, I mean, it's crazy. They're teenagers now. And I remember when they were, gosh, they would have been like seven and nine, probably, and running around practice into tackle dummies. and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're getting big. You know, they're junior in high school and freshman in high school now. And uh, Alex is the oldest, and he just took his ACT and got his score back. And really proud of him for scoring a pretty high score, much higher than his dad scored. So that's a good thing. And um, Cooper's a freshman, and Cooper is probably our guy that's real social, and and he wants to be part of everything. So he's in band and choir plays three different instruments plays football and little tennis and um you know so they're doing well right now they have an adjustment too with this remote learning and they're handling it pretty well alex is our techie guy around the house he really is good at all this computer stuff as a matter of fact you know i had him close by today when we were going to go on this call so if in case there was anything that had to be fixed he'd most likely be able to do it but that's a, he has a strong interest in uh, cybersecurity and things like that. So they're doing fine and they're doing well in school. So we always want them to do well in school and, and 
it's hard to believe that uh, we got to start looking at colleges here for Alex or he needs to start looking at colleges here soon. And, and life goes fast. So you got to enjoy it while they're in the house. Yeah, no doubt. Well, make sure to give Laura a hug for me. I'm excited to, to see you guys officially this fall. We are looking forward to it too, Kelly. And, and always uh, remember those days down there at Southern when you were covering the Salukis and all that and always appreciate your efforts and sure appreciate your time today. It was a fun time. It, it was, it's interesting because you, when you mentioned Dale, one of my favorite Dale Lennon stories at Southern was, gosh, it would have been probably 2009. I, I just sort of started, just moved to the area and started covering uh, SIU football. And so I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about the, the rivalries and the, the teams in the league. I was just starting to find out. And so you guys were playing North Dakota State. Um, and obviously when you, you look at their mascot, it's spelled, like if you were just if you were were not an educated fan and didn't know you would say bison like with the s because it's spelled b i s o n and so I said that one day at practice and he and he just got a big grin on his face and he goes it's actually bison he go, and I was like oh really he goes yeah they say it with a, a z but he goes you should just keep on saying it like that like that'll drive their fans nuts and I love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite a rivalry and you know that's one thing that. Uh, we're going to get back to, we're going to be playing them each and every year. And that's the way it should be. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time with me today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Kelly. It's been fun. If you like what you heard from Bubba Schweiger and our MVFC First and Gold podcast, take a moment to share, subscribe, and leave a review. Lineupmedia.fm also is home to many other sports podcasts, shows like Two Birds on a Bat, Blues NHL podcast, and The Drop. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Bird, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.